we've got our book review episode that was promised a while ago, which is Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. I don't even think uh, the Pope himself has read the Bible as quickly as I finished reading this book. <laughs> it was a really good book, which I really enjoyed. There was some really, really fascinating, like, force law questions about prophecy. There was just so much interesting stuff to sink your teeth into. Welcome to episode 26 of Life Invaders Castle. I'm uh, John Lee and I'm joined by my co-host as always, Dan Macquarie. How are you, Dan? Hello there. I'm good. I'm excited for this episode. This has been a, a one that we've been waiting for for a while. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think with these book reviews, are always we try and get them done with a, a certain amount of time, but this this book was just not not being read by me my my bad i was uh, i was too busy in taking my sweet time in uh, in opening it i know it's it was the same with me to be honest um i started reading it like longer longer ago than you but i was like reading it really slowly i was just going like two or three chapters at a time so it was just like i was taking my time um so we both had a mad rush the last few days getting this book finished but that's fine that's what happens sometimes um but here we are. We've got our book review episode that was promised a while ago, which is Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, the novel from I think 2019, all about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi before their appearance in Phantom Menace. Um, so that's what me and John have just read. When I say just read, <laughs> he finished it last night. I finished it today. <laughs> so it's fresh in our minds. And today's episode of the podcast, we're just going to talk about it nonstop for the whole episode. Yeah, I mean, it is very fresh in my mind. I literally, I think I, I started it last week and I think I must have read literally like 30, 40 pages. And then uh must have been like Sunday evening, Monday, I was like, oh, I need to finish this. So I think I read about 150 pages Monday and then the rest, uh, rest last night. So it's very fresh in my mind and all read in one go. I don't I don't even think uh, the Pope himself has read the Bible as quickly as I finished reading this book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um <laughs> it's quite it's quite a long or like one well, not quite but like it's a longer of like the typical Star Wars book. They're normally about 300, 350 pages, and this one was four four thirty, I think. I did get a bit worried when I kept on seeing what I didn't realise was like an an excerpt chapter of like another book at the end of this book. And I was like, oh my God, I've got so many pages left without realising that like 40 of the pages left in the book were another book altogether, which obviously I didn't read. So um, it was quite a long read. None of this is criticism, by the way. We will, we are about to go into how much we love this book. Um, But it was just, you know, life got busy, but we've managed, (laughs) we managed to finish it. And here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I must say, I mean, at no point during my uh, binge in the last two days did I think, oh, what a slog this is. You know, I wasn't like forcing myself to finish the book. I mean, I actually really enjoyed it. And there was times when I was sitting there reading it and I, I didn't realise like an hour had gone past and like a hundred pages have just just been uh, devoured in, in, the, in the time that seemed to fly by. There was just, uh, it was a really good book, which I really enjoyed. And I'm sure you have the, the same feelings on that, Dan. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was excited to read this one because um, I'm a fan of Claudia Gray's writing, um, and I've read Into the Dark, Lost Stars, Bloodline, and three books of hers I've already read. So this was the next in my list of Claudia Gray books to read, and it did not disappoint. It's definitely maintains the standard, the high quality that her her writing is set in Star Wars, 
And um, yeah, I, I really, really love this book. I think there was some really brilliant sort of character work for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. There was some really interesting sort of like Republic Jedi relations and interesting sort of mysteries and plot twists throughout the narrative. There was some really, really fascinating like force law, like questions about prophecy and one's role within the Jedi and the Jedi Council. There was just so much interesting stuff to seek, sink your teeth into in this book. I, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, what surprised me, I think, most about this book when I was reading it is just the little, um, I don't know, like tidbits or anecdotes that really feed into the further Star Wars stories that we get later in the timeline. Obviously, the, I think the next one is the next big story plot plot is obviously the Phantom Menace where we first see these characters um, on the big screen, you know, like Qui-Gon Jim. Um, and there was just a lot of things that I felt really helped to build you know, and develop the, the world that we'd already known from the films through this book. You know, there was good points, I think, about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship, Obi-Wan himself, you know, being obviously a character we see throughout more of the films. His, um, you know, like plot points and his character development, I thought was really well. So it started off really well in this book and like it followed on nicely to what we've seen um, in the films and other multimedia some of the things about the Jedi Council, I think, and, you know, there were some interesting tidbits about Yoda in there that I think fit really well into, like, what we'd already known, again, in, like, the prequel series, uh, stuff like that. It was really nice to see that Claudia Gray is really, you know, she knows her Star Wars and she knows it well enough to be able to create um, new story bits and plot points that feed him so well into the Star Wars universe that we all know and love. Yeah, definitely. I think... Is this is this your first non High Republic Star Wars book? I think it is, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Because this is something that, like, I love about the sort of most of the Star Wars books, if not all of them, is the ways that, like, it's just important little bits of information that you don't quite have time to get in films. And if you know George Lucas trying to explain every single detail about the prophecies and that sort of thing, you know, Phantom Menace would have been ten hours long. So I think what these books serve really well is like you know supplementary tales that obviously tell like a really really interesting story themselves but like really support what we see in in the um in the films and bloodline which is another another claudia gray book does a really really good job of that in relation to the force awakens and then this film this book does it really well in relation to the phantom menace so yeah i completely agree with you on that one i think it's something that i've really learned to love about the books is that we can take characters or ideas that we love from the films and then just like really explore it in a lot more detail and not it's not just backstory for the sake of backstory it's like really understanding like how these characters work in a way that you don't just don't have time for in a film yeah exactly i mean i've always said uh when it comes to things that i'm a fan of you know like big marvel fan big you know there's other like lord of the rings you know there's stuff that i love to experience and i've always thought that putting them on a TV show obviously works a lot better for me um, personally, you know, like the Marvel series on um, Netflix, I think are fantastic and stuff. So I always think good storytelling comes better from like TV shows. And then obviously that is definitely carried over to like books, you know, where you get that time to explain things or character, characters, plots and characters points that you won't necessarily get in a, in a, you know, two hour film, just because as you said, this is not simply the time to expand upon these things. So, I think, you know, if you're 
really are a diehard Star Wars fan and you want to just like absorb as much as possible, I think the books are definitely a great place to go to because, you know, you get the, you know, you get 400 pages or whatever to explain obviously the plot, but then you get like the character development and stuff. And then obviously you get like the internal monologues that you don't necessarily get in the films and stuff without it being like cheesy or them just talking to themselves, which is always a bit strange. So I always think, you know, books, any multimedia where the, the storyteller really has, you know, free range to take as long as they want, I suppose is always going to be very uh, rich and rewarding for the the readers. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the point about in, you know, in a monologue as well, like obviously we've only really seen Qui-Gon Jinn in the Phantom Menace. So obviously he's appeared in sort of, um, you know, force ghosts or voices in Clone Wars. And then there's one or two comics that feature him, but he's one of those characters where he's got huge presence from one film. And I learned, it's no criticism on Phantom Menace, but I learned like 10 times the amount about Qui-Gon in this book than I ever learned about him from the film. And a lot of that was from his own internal monologue, what he was thinking, how he processes and reacts to situations. Um, and yeah, I think that's something that, that this book did, did brilliantly well. I think we've probably given a good little sort of introduction here without diving too deep into spoilery territory. Um, but I guess we'll sort of dive into some, some of the more specific points of the book, the story um, here. And I guess sort of talk a little bit about what I think is probably like the biggest aspect of the book. It's kind of in the title, but sort of like the the theme and the, the, the character sort of story of the, the master and apprentice relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, because I think that's a, a really, really interesting aspect to this book. Um, what did you think sort of overall about the, this sort of theme and this sort of plot of the book, the sort of relationship between these two significant characters and what else we learn from this? Um, I think that it was fascinating to learn more about, um, obviously, the Padawan era of Obi-Wan, because um, it's not something we see very long in Star Wars um, films and stuff. I mean, we literally get it for like half or three quarters of the film for the Phantom Menace, obviously. And once Qui-Gon dies, he's a, Obi-Wan's a Jedi Knight. Um, so I think one, that was fascinating to find out more about Obi-Wan as a Padawan and how he became the, uh, you know, the, the Jedi master that we all love and adore. <clears throat> but I think, yeah, as you said, Qui-Gon was a character that had so much presence about him from one film. Um, but then we never really got to see the relationship between the two of them, you know, in the depth that obviously now that we have got it is, is what we wanted in the first place or what, you know, what we deserved in the first place, I suppose. Um, again, no criticism of Phantom Menace. You've only got two hours to fit that all in. You're never going to get it in there. But it was fascinating just to see the, how the two bounced off each other, you know, the issues they had amongst each other, how the two characters are, you know, they, they are unapologetically like themselves, I suppose. You know, Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan. You know, it's very similar to the Obi-Wan we see in, you know, the um, the films and the TV shows, you know, very by the book, Jedi Order, Jedi Code. You know, what the council wants is what the council wants. You know, some of the criticisms and issues that some people have with him in the main Star Wars, uh, in the Star Wars films and stuff, especially when it comes to, like, things like Anakin and stuff. Well, again... Qui-Gon is just himself, you know, does what he thinks is best, what he thinks the force wills, even if that goes against the council. 
And I think that made for some very interesting dialogue between the two and some very interesting um, conflicts. You know, you don't usually with Jedi's and the Padawans, you assume that, you know, it's just like a, a the good relationship, you know, the Padawan listens to the master and the master is always right. But, you know, in situations that we got in this book, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon disagreed on a lot of things, you know, Obi-Wan, um, you know, even at one point took an action above Qui-Gon's head and went straight to the council, which obviously upset Qui-Gon quite a bit. So that was interesting to see. Um, I think it was just nice to get a bit more about that, that story. Cause I think after the Phantom Menace ends, you kind of want to, you want to know more about that relationship. Cause obviously at the beginning of the film, they're near the end of that sort of Padawan master experience. So it was nice to get to see more of that and just see that it wasn't a, a smoother ship as you could imagine it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I absolutely love the conflict between Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan in this. I think it made perfect sense. And it was, it wasn't something that we really saw in the Phantom Menace. There were sort of a couple of quotes where they disagreed with each other from the Phantom Menace, but nothing major. But this book like <clears throat> really dived into why these two characters might clash in their relationship. And obviously, as you were saying, like Obi-Wan, you know, he's known for being a bit of a stickler for the rules and he's sort of the poster boy for the Jedi. He follows everyone's orders. He does what he's told. And then Qui-Gon is this very like bit of a rogue. He, he trusts the will of the force over the council and he, he, he has issues with the council and the way that the council operates. But then there's also sort of the very like almost coming of age elements to the relationship that Obi-Wan has where he feels that Qui-Gon might not be teaching him all the stuff he needs to know. Um, and then obviously when the major plot point of the book that Qui-Gon is offered a place on the council and the two of them would no longer be master and apprentice, there's that feeling of, you know, betrayal and like that you weren't good enough from Obi-Wan that he sort of like let Qui-Gon down and that's why he no longer wants to be his master. <clears throat> so there's a lot of, really really interesting stuff going on i think it was a, a constant throughout the book of like obi-wan being annoyed about qui-gon the way that he did things and their relationship constantly getting strained but through this event on the planet pajal like they found what made them work as a master and apprentice pairing and you know obviously this is something that people know before the books, it's not really a spoiler, but when Qui-Gon decides not to take a seat on the council for a multitude of reasons, but also to continue training Obi-Wan as, as master, I think there's a, a very clear story from beginning to end of how their sort of their relationship went for a crucible and came out stronger the other side. Um, but just one, one more little point I, I want to add before I throw it back to you is one of the things I found the most interesting, and this was a, a completely new point to me. I don't know if this has ever been talked about in Star Wars before, but I don't know if Master and Apprentice invented this, but I love it, is the idea that Obi-Wan actually <clears throat> was a really rebellious youngling um, and that <laughs> the council paired a rebellious Obi-Wan with Qui-Gon, who was also rebellious. So the only way that Obi-Wan could rebel was by <laughs> following the rules and Qui-Gon wouldn't. I just thought that was such interesting character development from Obi-Wan because obviously, whilst he is a big rules guy, we do see little hints in the Clone Wars and stuff of him sort of loving it a bit too much, you know, and just like, he just kind of, there's a bit of ego occasionally comes through an Obi-Wan where, you know, in, in his quips and everything, so I think I can instantly believe that like a, a youngling Obi-Wan was like a right little rebel. And then 
it was actually his relationship with Qui-Gon where the only way he could rebel rebel against the rebel <laughs> was to start following the rules. Um, they have a little moment where they sort of discover that and then the two of them share a little laugh and then realise why they've been a good pairing for each other. Um, I don't know if you picked up on that point, but I just thought that was one of the most interesting little bits of backstory I think this whole book gave us was just that little bit of information about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon there. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a good, that's like right near the end of the book, isn't it, that point? No, that did make me laugh there. And you are right, like, um, we do see in the Clone Wars uh, and other stuff, you know, bits of where Obi-Wan kind of isn't as square, you know, isn't as... Um, isn't as uh, sticks square. up the rules. I was going to say square is probably a good word for everyone. Yeah, square isn't as, isn't as straight edge. Straight edge is the one I was going for. Yeah, isn't as straight edge as he normally is, and he, you know, is a bit of a rebellious rebel um, phase about him. So I can totally see that maybe that's the the, the little bits of him from his his pre Qui Gon Padawan days, you know, shining through all that and uh, and stuff like that. I thought that was that was a nice touch. I think. I can't remember where I've I had it in the back of my head somewhere, but I can't remember where I've read it or listened to it or whatever was um that yeah, Obi-Wan was quite a rebellious Padawan and he didn't get um picked up by a master till quite late in his like teenage years. You know, I think it's normally like quite early on in their, mm. in their adolescence, yeah. you know, you get picked up. But again, that might have just been like an Instagram quote from this book that I'd seen because it's been out for a few years. I think yeah, it might have been in this book. There was definitely this book definitely included the information that like Obi Wan was quite late being like brought in as a as a youngling, because um, like they were saying about how Rao Avaros came to the Jedi Order, Order really late and he was like five, and then Obi Wan was like, "Well, I thought I was late coming to the Jedi Order." And I think he was either three or four when he got picked up and brought to the Jedi Order. And like they usually get brought to the Order when they're like babies, and like Obi Wan was quite late to the Order. So I guess that sort of links into like some of these different things about his him being a youngling. Um, but I, I think it did mention that as well, that he got picked up quite late by his master. And I think, was that just because he was a little bit slower on the training or something like that? I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, definitely mentioned, I think he got brought in when he was three and he, and he was surprised um, then when Averos was brought in at five because, yeah, he was like, oh, I thought I was the oldest sort of um, youngling ever to be brought in sort of thing. Um, but I can't exactly remember if they ever explained why. Mm. He, I think it was just he was found late. Yeah, think, yeah, something like that. Clearly, don't frequent the planets, do John. That's that's what it is. <laughs> A rare planet to ever visit that one. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I also liked was that Obi Wan had this like grievance with Qui Gon that he felt that Qui Gon was only teaching him like the basic sort of um, lightsaber dueling stances. And the sort of other Padawans were learning sort of like the different forms from their masters. <clears throat> Whereas Obi-Wan felt that he was only ever getting taught like the most basic stuff. And that's sort of a bit of grievance sort of maybe for about two thirds of the book. And then they have like the actual conversation of like, why do you only teach me like the basics? And Qui-Gon has that whole thing of like, because, you know, a, a good Jedi should be a master of like the basics that they should become their instinct too many jedi get caught up in learning all these forms and becoming like showmen in the way that they duel but really it's about learning those basics and having that connection to the force it like makes you stronger and then obi-wan has that bit of internal dialogue of like oh damn like qui-gon just wants me to be a really good jedi like he's not he doesn't think that i'm weak he just wants me to be like the best jedi possible and that's like another moment for obi-wan to be like 
oh, my teacher's actually really good, which I thought I really liked as well. Yeah, I think there was a, there, one of the Qui-Gon's line of dialogues is something, there's something along the lines of um, learning the basics, you know, makes you like almost like untouchable or something like that um, as a Jedi, you know, learning the basics of like forms of defense and attack makes you like untouchable. And that just uh, sparked in my head. I was like, well, you know, we know further on in his life, Obi-Wan becomes, you know, like the master of like form three, which is obviously a very defensive form of a lightsaber combat. And, you know, Obi-Wan is almost untouchable in his lightsaber fight. And, you know, he doesn't lose a fight till, um, till Darth Vader. And that's only because he gives up. So it's like, it's those sort of lessons. Yeah. That's what I think links really well with this book. It's like just little quotes like that or little passing comments like that link really well into like the future Star Wars stuff that we know. Obviously I'd say Obi-Wan is one of the best lightsaber duelists out there, you know, with his form three style. And it's definitely, it definitely seems to link that having Qui-Gon make him master the basics and basically get that instinct muscle memory in him has definitely helped out later in life. So yeah. it's nice, it's nice, nice little comments like that. I think that linked really well. into yeah. the future Star Wars universe. And I think there was the whole thing about like Qui-Gon sort of mar- having mastered this like meditative trance that he goes into when he fights of, you know, when you've got blaster bolts flying at you, um, and you're having to defend yourself like what what you really need to do is like completely let go and just go into a trance where like the force completely guides you and at the beginning of the book we see that Obi-Wan sort of can't do that he's he's talented but he's he's not quite using his connection to the force to sort of survive on instinct and that sort of thing in, in fights and then there's the moment when sort of later on in the book when they attack the well when the cir- the circa um corporation sort of facility gets attacked and Obi-Wan like reaches out with a force and enters this sort of like meditative trance where like he's literally just perfectly deflecting everything before it's even sent towards him he's just like he's he's using the force completely to like guide himself in battle instead of just using sort of like his sight his 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 lightsaber and that was a big lesson that Qui-Gon taught him. And I think all these little pieces that you put together, you sort of come to realise why Obi-Wan is sort of becomes almost like the idyllic, the, the perfect Jedi, the, the Jedi who doesn't lose fights is because of like all this training from Qui-Gon. And you sort of realise how much of a important uh, mentor and teacher Qui-Gon was. And maybe Obi-Wan would never have turned out to be the Jedi he was if he had, had been lumped with some other teacher. I completely agree. I think everything Qui-Gon teaches Obi-Wan. I think an interesting point in the book as well is that, um, you know, Qui-Gon thinks that he's failing Obi-Wan as a as a master. And I think at times, obviously, as you mentioned, Obi-Wan thinks that Qui-Gon's, you know, failing him as a teacher. And I think it's really interesting to see that they both, I suppose, don't come to appreciate the lessons that they're teaching each other until much further on in the in the book. And then obviously... Some of the lessons I'm sure Obi-Wan doesn't even realise too much later in his life about just how well Qui-Gon did actually teach him um, in forms of, yeah, everything, lightsaber combat, uh, you know, the connection, his connection to the Force, you know, and what and how to do. I think one of the big lessons that Qui-Gon teaches Obi-Wan is to just do what you think is is right as opposed to, you know, being a stickler for the rules. I mean, yeah, yeah. there's times obviously we've seen in Star Wars where Obi-Wan is a bit, you know, rigid in his uh, approach to things in, in terms of the Jedi Council and the codes and stuff. But I think 
when it really matters, you know, I think Obi Wan has, has taken chances where you know he'll he'll do what right, what's right instead of you know sticking for the rules. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's loads of examples in the Clone Wars. I can't quite think of one mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Yeah, um, but it's that sort of stuff. I think that Qui Gon teaches Obi Wan without them even realizing that he's teaching it to him, just from yeah. the way they interact with each other and their relationship. Yeah, and and I know I know this point I'm about to bring up is he says it to Avaros and not not to Obi-Wan, but I do feel like it's a really important part of like what Obi-Wan learns from Qui-Gon and sort of that that point that you were bringing up about doing what's right. And this was something that Qui-Gon said to, to Rel Avaros. I have actually just <clears throat> taken a photo of it because I don't want to misquote it. So I am just going to read it out. Um, but this is a little extract. Um, it matters, Qui-Gon said quietly, it matters which side we choose, even if there will never be more light than darkness, even, there, even if there can be no more joy in the galaxy than there is pain. For every action we take, for every word we speak, for every life we touch, it matters. I don't turn toward the light because it means I'll win some sort of cosmic game. I turn towards it because it's the light. Um, and I thought, I like, read that quote and I was like, oh my God, this is the best quote ever. So I took a picture of it. But I think it just feeds in and I guess we'll use this to sort of pivot on to some other points about this book, but it feeds in so well to what Qui-Gon really wants to teach Obi-Wan, which is about following the force, you know, doing what's right, sticking true to the light. But then it's also a lesson that he teaches Rael Avaros as well, which Avaros quotes back to Dooku at the end of the book. You know, I'm not, I'm not choosing a side to win. I'm choosing the light because it's the light. And I think, I mean, this point feeds into so many things to do with the chosen one prophecy and bringing balance to the light and what bringing balance actually means is that equal light to equal dark. It's that whole prophecy, it's that whole um, philosophy that George Lucas has that everyday human beings have to deal with the light and the dark. And what makes you a good person is choosing the light every time, even if the darkness is there. Um, so I do think it's like a really, really powerful thing from Obi uh, from Qui Gon to say is like, you know the Jedi aren't supposed to choose the light side because it makes them sort of win this cosmic game of chess. They're choosing the light side because it's the light, because it's right. And I think that's sort of some of the aspects that like you start to see with the council of like questioning of like whether they're really going down the right path is, are they just choosing this side because it's like the side of the Republic and the Republic are in charge or are they really choosing the side, which is, the light, the right. Um, so yeah, obviously that's a point towards Avaros, but I, I do think it applied to sort of what we were talking about with Obi-Wan. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add on to that with sort of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon before we sort of move on to some of the other bits in the book. Yeah, I mean, that is a powerful quote and I think it does go on to, I mean, we could branch off from that quote for, I think, hours. So I'm sure we'll get on to it in a minute, but I think... Just for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, I think, you know, if that's how Qui-Gon sees the world and, you know, sees his connection to the Force and stuff, then it's obviously going to be in, like, his everyday teachings to Obi-Wan, even if he never says that, repeats that quote again to Obi-Wan or never says that quote to Obi-Wan in the first place. It will be in his teachings and it will be in, you know, just how Obi-Wan observes Qui-Gon acting and reacting to, you know, people and events. So I think, you know, it's just... I think Qui-Gon as a person, even if he taught everyone nothing, just everyone being around him and experiencing his view on the world would definitely have made everyone a better Jedi and, you know. Mm. Set him on the right path. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I you know, Qui-Gon's, you can make the argument that Qui-Gon is like one of the 
more perfect renditions of like the Jedi's outlook on life um, mm -hmm. as opposed to like the council and like, you know, stuff we enjoy about the High Republic. I think uh, their, their, their views on the Jedi Order are very much similar to do to um, quite which yeah. is why he's such a fan favorite after being in a film for like an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, sort of keeping on this theme, but sort of maybe moving on to something else, like obviously the Master and Apprentice thing plays like a big like role, not just with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, but also with, I mean, Dooku has like a massive presence in this book without really being in it because obviously Qui-Gon is formerly Dooku's apprentice, but also Ray Lavros, the other sort of main Jedi character in this book, is a former Padawan of Dooku as well. Um, they've you know, if someone hasn't read the book, but they're still listening along. Ray Lavaros um, was sort of a bit of a rogue Jedi Knight who, as we mentioned earlier, started in the Order quite old. He never really lost like the way that he spoke from his home planet. He was always a bit like, didn't, a bit scruffy, a bit gruff. He had an accident with a Padawan of his own where something went wrong and to defend himself, he had to kill his Padawan. So to sort of, make up for that himself and for the council to sort of give him something that would sort of make up for it. He was sent to the planet Pajal to sort of be a Lord Regent and to raise the future queen, Princess Fanry. So that's where we meet him in this, in this book is that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are brought to this planet to help Rayo Avros because Avros wanted Qui-Gon to be the person who the Republic sent because of their relationship as both being, you know, former Padawans of Dooku and friends. Um, so there, both Avaros and his relationship to Dooku and therefore his relationship to Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon's relationship with Dooku plays like quite a big part in this story, particularly with Qui-Gon and his interest in prophecies um, and then Avaros in the sort of the way that he... I don't like the idea of, you know, being in sort of the grey in, in between, but it's sort of the way that Avros sort of rides the the very thin line that, you know, between light and dark occasionally. He's he's not your traditional Jedi. And I think a lot of that maybe has come from the time he spent with Dooku. I just think it's interesting that the two Jedi that are the most rogue in the order, Qui-Gon and Rael Avros, both happen to be Dooku's. <laughs> Padawans. I don't know if you sort of picked up on some of these points, but it's an interesting shadow that Dooku casts over this whole um, story as, you know, this, this great Jedi master who we know ended up falling to the dark side, left the order, fell to the dark side. But it's interesting that these two Jedi, similar in ways, but different, but the, the common thread is, is, is Count Dooku. Yeah, I def definitely picked up on that. I think even uh, there were some points in the like flashbacks flashback chapters where uh, Dooku's talking to Qui-Gon as a, as a Padawan and you know, he's like encouraging Qui-Gon to, you know, be more adventurous and have a more of a mind of his own than to just blindly follow the council. And I think it was, you know, he, if he encouraged that in a Qui-Gon, he definitely could encourage that in an Avaros. And I think there was other points in the book where Qui-Gon made the point that it was very surprising that Dooku allowed like, uh, Avros to be as um, unique and flamboyant, I suppose, a Jedi he he was, seeming as Dooku is very, while not obviously on board of all the council's ideas, you know, he had a very particular way of doing things that fit his own ways. I think he let uh, Avros get away with not 
not fit into those standards. And I think that obviously helps uh, Avros, you know, become more unique and his own person under Dooku, which I think, while it's, it surprised me a little bit because obviously what we know about Dooku is he's very, you know, his account is very particular about things, you know, he's very high and mighty. Um, but then obviously in his ways of questioning the council and questioning the Jedi Order, you, you, it's not surprising that he allowed someone like Avaros and then obviously Qui-Gon afterwards to have such a unique perspective on the on the world mm-hmm. and like, on yeah. the Force and stuff like that, especially through Qui-Gon. Obviously, Avaros was just a bit of a, a loose cannon yeah. uh, in, in all ways. You, this, um, this book does kind of work as a really good... Um, uh, was like partner to Dooku Jedi Lost, um, which came out, I think, a similar time, um, which was like, an audio drama... Um, written by Kevin Scott. There's also a book version where you sort of it's a script, but it really tells the story of Dooku, and a lot of it sort of overlaps with some of the the, the flashbacks that we've got in this book, and some of these points of really understanding the mind of Dooku. Whereas in this book, it's very much like the mind of Qui Gon and Rael Avaros, but with the the ideas of Dooku sort of like floating around there. So I do think that is worth a, uh, worth a read for, for anyone listening. If you haven't already read Dooku Jedi Lost, it's, it's a really interesting book for finding out about Dooku and, you know, what it is that made him leave the, the order and that sort of thing. Um, and then sort of those reasons why that man might one day turn to the dark side. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, it is interesting, the Jedi that Avaros becomes and this sort of weird situation he gets himself in on this planet where he's trying to make up for a mistake or something that he feels guilty about from his past by fixing a situation with sort of another uh, you know young person in this case it's this princess who you know he wants to raise up to be a great leader and wants to you know help the planet that she's gonna inherit thrive and be a big part of the galaxy and um he's like projecting all his issues onto this this um this girl and you know big big spoiler here for the end of the book it ends up being a massive mistake because you know this girl completely rebels about against everything that he was trying to do because she is her own person and doesn't want Avros to you know force her to be one thing or another and that ends up you know she's the the big mastermind behind all the mysterious stuff that's going on in this book so he does fail massively um but ultimately at the very end of the book rejects dooku's sort of hand in um sort of going and joining him and sort of learning to become more powerful and instead sides with qui-gon and sort of returns the quote of as i mentioned earlier like i'm not i'm you know, picking sides. I'm picking the light because not because I want to win, but because it's the light. So I do think Avros himself has like a really interesting character arc in this. And it's interesting how um, his relationship with Qui-Gon works. And as, as we've been talking about extensively, the relationship back to Dooku. Um, obviously, I, I can't mention Rel Avros without mentioning the fact that we, yet again, we have another Jedi who shags in this book. Uh, <laughs> this... <laughs> He's a, not quite Elzar man in my eyes, but, you know, Rael Avros is another Jedi character who, you know, breaks these rules, questions these rules of attachment and um, celibacy. And in this case, he has like an on and off sexual relationship with 
a local innkeeper, but he claims it's not an attachment, therefore it's fine. And Qui-Gon sort of rolls his eyes and it's not a huge part of the book, but I just think it's another interesting um, point in sort of really forming who this character is. And I, I did think Avros was one of the standout characters in this book for me. I thought it was thoroughly interested Jedi. Yeah, I think he was, uh, he's a very interesting character. Um, and I'd like to see more of him in other stuff. I don't know if he is in any other stuff. Um, <clears throat> but I think his story arc was, was very interesting in this book. So obviously, as you say, he, he gets sent to this planet by the council because they think this will be a good, you know, healing for him to help another, help a young, a young uh, child. I think she's six. I think when he when he goes over when he goes to the planet, I think, and it's up yeah. to him to like yeah. look after her and teach her how to be a good ruler and stuff like that. <clears throat> Which, you know, he accepts, and he, I think, in the years he does it, he seems to really enjoy his relationship with um with the princess, and you know, he finds it very comforting. Um, and obviously it blows up in his face because why wouldn't it? Uh, but it's really interesting is that, you you know, he had the best intentions in heart, the way he was, he was dealing with things. And I think you're right. You know, she rebelled because she wanted to be her own person and his idea for what was best was not actually true. You know, he was forcing her down a particular path. She didn't want to go down and he was more worried about power and you know wealth for the area instead of like what she actually wanted to be as a ruler um and i think you know he it's one of those things where the council sent him away to try and make him a better to try and heal him but i think that's probably not what he needed in the end you know he probably needed a bit a bit more time actually in the jedi council um you know a bit more time probably what he needed (laughs) Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he needed to spend probably a bit more time with like the Jedi Council and maybe not have free reign of his own. And maybe he might have dealt with that situation a bit better. You know, obviously it was very tragic for him having to kill his Padawan. I don't think that's ever happened before in Star Wars. Obviously, that I can think of off the top of my head of a Jedi killing their Padawan. Um, I think the last yeah. thing they needed for him to do was to go off and try and raise another child after he just slaughtered one. <laughs> so I don't know whose bright idea that was. But. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think his inclusion in, in the, the book is really interesting. And I think it's obviously it's, it's what creates the circumstance for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon becoming involved in this, this sort of situation on the planet Pijal, um, where you've got an upcoming coronation, whether the, the, princess is going to become the queen but she's not she's handing power to an assembly where it's going to be a constitutional monarchy instead of an absolute monarchy but there's this like corporation which has got a lot of influence and there's a treaty and there's people opposing the treaty there's people wanting the treaty signed and obi-wan and qui-gon get caught up in the middle of the whole thing there's terrorist attacks there's the opposition there's a lot going on there and i think it all centers around like the way that the Jedi see their role in situations, you know, like Avros obviously sees his role as to, you know, raise this girl to be a strong leader, but also to pass the planet on to essentially what is a democracy. You know, Qui-Gon sees his role in this, this situation is to fix the treaty and to free slaves and to stop the Circa Corporation being so heavily involved, but also to make sure that his vision doesn't come to pass 
And then Obi-Wan sees his role as doing essentially what the council has asked them to do, which is oversee the coronation and be witnesses and to not get too involved because that's not their role. And I think these sort of different ways that the Jedi interact with, you know, planets that are, I mean, this is a planet on the outer rim, not actually in the Republic. And it's, um, it's just really interesting to see these sort of battles that the, the, the Jedi sort of have with like politics, bureaucracy, everything that we see in the prequels and that we know <laughs> is wrong is sort of, you know, present quite long before the prequels in, in this case sort of like, you know, seven or eight years before the Phantom Menace, you know, fifth, how long is that? Like 18 years before Attack of the Clones and stuff. So yeah, I found it really interesting. Um, before I think there's a big part of the book that I know that I definitely want to talk about. And I imagine you're the same, which is Qui-Gon, the force prophecies and that sort of thing. But I think before we get to that bit, I think we should sort of just run through some of the parts of the book that we particularly liked some some of the big plot twists, some of the in, like new characters and everything to do with sort of Pijao and you know the, the the crisis that's going on here. So I mean, the first thing I'll I'll sort of bring up before passing it over to you is um, Pax and Rahara, who were um, two important characters in this. They were jewel thieves who came to the Pijal's moon because they thought there were kyber crystals on it. They find out it's not kyber crystals, it's something called colon crystals, which aren't the same, but they're kind of similar. It's like fool's kyber instead of, you know, fool's gold. Um, and then they end up, you know, um, saving the day slightly earlier on in the book into one of the, like, the terrorist attacks. And then Qui-Gon tracks them down and decides that, you know, they should help him out with what's going on and you know, the Rahara is a former slave. Um, so she has a big issue with the corporation, which is involved in slavery. And I think that they play a really, really interesting part in this book. And I think before I pass over to you, I think the thing I found most interesting was Pax as a character. I thought it was a really interesting character. He sort of gave me Sheldon Cooper vibes from the Big Bang Theory. But he was raised by um, protocol droids for 15 years. So picture c-3po he was raised by like a group of c-3po's for like 15 years everything he says is very like protocol droid like he's very matter of fact he's very um sort of emotionless and i thought he was a really really unique and interesting character and obviously his sort of arc he ends up finding out that he actually has an emotional attachment to his co-pilot rahara and you know rescues her and they live happily ever after at the end what's your sort of did you enjoy the inclusion of these sort of two non-Jedi sort of ordinary people characters? Did you, did you like what, what they were about and how they were written? Yeah, I did actually. I really liked her. Is it Rahara? Is that how you say her name? Uh, yeah, really Rahara. Liked, yeah. yeah, I really liked her as a character. Um, the two of them were brilliant by themselves. I think, yeah, Pax is, has some, at times, has some dialogue that really made me laugh and smile just because he is very matter of fact and yeah it does remind me as well of like Sheldon Cooper um I think it was Rahara that gave like I think it was obviously she's a very interesting character in herself but I think it was like the the moral questions that she that brought up you know surrounded her surrounding her character um I think were the, the parts of the book that I found those interesting obviously being a a former slave I thought I just thought the conversations that were around that topic, I thought were the most fascinating points in the book for me. Obviously, you know, it's a big 
there's a big point of obviously the Phantom Menace is that Anakin is a slave and you know he had to get his, his he was bought his freedom was bought by Qui Gon. Um, which then obviously leads on to the whole events of literally the whole entire Star Wars uh, trilogy, you know, the Skywalker saga. So I think that's that's quite important. I think it leads on well to one of the one of the most interesting points that things that I have about the prequel trilogy, and that is just how the, the Jedi Order and the Republic and like their views on as you're saying, you know, like how they get involved with politics and bureaucracy and things like that. And I think this in this book, I think it was explored very well in regards to the like, topic of like slavery and like the Republic stance on that. And then the Jedi stance on that, which I think was very interesting. But I think one of my favorite conversations, the book is a conversation between Qui-Gon and Yoda about uh, slavery. And I think Qui-Gon makes, obviously makes a point of like, this is wrong. Why do we allow this to go on? You know, we're, we have the power to stop this. Why don't we, <clears throat> you know, in the hands of the Republic, like, why don't we stop this? And Yoda makes the point of like, I can't remember what the planet's called, but it was like on this planet, they like eat their young because um, they're like spiders or like whatever. And on another planet, they, once someone reaches like a certain age, they get like beaten to death so that they don't like use up all the resources. Um, and I think that again links in really well with the quote that you were saying earlier about like choosing the light because it's the light. You know, you don't want to, no one's saying that you should go to every planet and like enforce your rules on them. Um, if it's like their culture and stuff, but things like I think Qui-Gon's point about like the slavery and stuff, I think is, is very fascinating. And I think it sparks some really interesting conversations between, um, you know, Qui-Gon and Yoda, you know, Yoda's just playing like devil's advocate because he obviously agrees with Qui-Gon that <laughs> slavery is wrong. And I think there's later points in the book where if, you know, it's, um, more apparent that Yoda obviously agrees with Qui-Gon and stuff, but he, it's a, it's a difficult balance. I think Yoda has to find being like the leader of the Jedi order about how far they impose their will on others. So you, I get what he's definitely just playing devil's advocate and trying to, to see what Qui-Gon will come up with and see how actually, you know, um, like passionate about this sort of thing he is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, th- yeah. I think that's some of the most fascinating stuff because obviously, you know, you can make the argument that, if the Republic say just after this thing and then had gone to, you know, the planets on the outer rim and the planets within the Republic and abolished slavery, you know, how different would the Star Wars universe be by the time of the Phantom Menace, you know, Anakin in the Clone Wars, uh, Attack of the Clones, sorry, wouldn't have gone and slaughtered all Tusken Raiders for uh, having his mum <laughs> in slavery and stuff like that. Mm. So I think it's a very interesting topic. I think some of the conversations that I have were so well written and the conversation around it, I think was, uh, was really fascinating. That's some of the highlights of the book for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think those two characters, uh, Pax and Rahara, definitely played into that theme really well and sort of gave a different perspective from the Jedi perspective, which I think is always important in any sort of Star Wars story. I feel that there always needs to be non-Jedi characters in Star Wars stories to give those different perspectives. I think they serve that purpose really well. And I hope we hope we do see these two characters again in sort of some other form of Star Wars storytelling. But yeah, I also picked up on like his conversation with Yoda as well. And I think, I think as you're saying, Yoda often just does play devil's advocate for the sake of playing devil's advocate. He's like, he'll never just answer. He'll just always return a question back to them. Um, but there was one interesting thing that Yoda said, which particularly piqued my interest because I obviously know that Claudia Gray 
went on after this to become one of the High Republic writers. And she obviously, when she was writing this book, probably knew she was going to be a High Republic writer, so might have been planting some seeds. Because there was this quote from Yoda, which I picked out, which was, many, many ways there are, many ways there are of serving the right. We work within our mandates and there and there do as much good as we can. To do otherwise, to substitute our judgment for that of the Republic is to repeat the mistakes of the past. And I just thought that was interesting when he said to repeat the mistakes of the past, because to me, I could that potentially be a hint of the High Republic? Could be that be a hint of what ended up going wrong in the High Republic? I don't know. But I do think that's, aside from that potential link back to the High Republic, just this idea that like the Jedi have gotten to the point where they're working within their mandates and that even Yoda, one of you know the most appreciated Jedi, describes their work as having mandates and they shouldn't substitute their own judgment for the Republic's judgment, which is very different from the Jedi we see in the High Republic. In the High Republic, the Jedi have their own, they operate themselves, but they help the Republic. But you wouldn't describe them as having a mandate within the Republic and you wouldn't des- describe them him, as not being able to use their own judgment. They only are allowed to use the Republic's judgment. So I just thought that was a really interesting quote, sort of when you're linking it back to the High Republic, but also looking forward towards like the, the fall of the, the Order and the end of this book when Qui-Gon ultimately decides, nah, I'm not joining the Council. Um, it's just this this way that, as you were saying, like the, the, the Jedi had just become so tied up in like politics, you know, working for the Chancellor, the Republic, the bureaucracy and everything. And it's just um, this idea of like, slavery as one but also like how involved they should be in this treaty this coronation and everything that's going on on this planet i just think all of it was there's just so many different balls flying around and claudia gray is just handling them all perfectly i just found it really really impressive yeah there's a lot of difficult themes i think that she um or complex themes i think she juggles really well obviously the the points of uh the treaty being signed and stuff i think she wrote in beautifully with the uh, the other like issues of the Jedi Order we just discussed. You know the treaty, you know being signed. You know I think again it's Yoda that makes a good point. It's like you know if the treaty signs, uh, hundreds of planets on the outer rim get a hyperspace lane, which obviously builds wealth. You know it makes planets richer, makes people you know better off. You know brings help to lots of planets which are basically just like stranded in the middle of nowhere. But then. Obviously, then that will lead to the citizens of uh, Pajar um, basically being, you know, forced into, slave, <laughs> in, forced into slavery. For, yeah. You know, like you're a bit of pickpocketing or something, and that's it. You're a slave to this company for like the rest of your life, plus your children, plus their children. The big evil capitalist corporation, <laughs> House of Mouse, <laughs> the evil Disney. <laughs> House of Mouse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so again that's a, a nice little devil's advocate there from Yoda yeah. I think he, he he's quite good to play both sides uh, I think he's written really well to yeah and I think be, be there for that what's so interesting is whenever all these big questions are being juggled Qui-Gon always falls back to this idea of just I'm just gonna follow the will of the force and a lot of the time the will of the force doesn't line up with what the council says which is obviously why the Qui-Gon that we know and love often disagrees with the council. Um, I think there were just a, a few sort of big plot twisty moments that I really, really loved in this before we sort of um, 
finish with us, I guess, sort of like the, the final little topic, as we were saying. Um, I thought the way that they set up the opposition as this sort of, you know, terrorist group who were, you know, doing all these bombings and they started off just prank doing political pranks and then ended up in bombings. And then the sort of reveal about midway through the book that the opposition are being framed for the violence. They were just behind all the pranks and stuff, but like the actual bombing and the, the black guards who are like hunting down, you know, shooting the Jedi and stuff like that on the moon is not them and they're they're completely different entity. And this sets up this whole mystery of there's someone within the, the Royal court of Pijau who has betrayed the crown. So they think, um, and that the opposition are actually like, yeah, they're troublemakers, but they're not the troublemakers. And I think when I heard this, I was like, right, for me, it's either two people. It's either minister Orth, who sort of presented as this, this character who like, doesn't like Circa Corporation. She disagrees with Rail Avros all the time, but she's really like stuck up. So maybe she'd have something against it. Or the um Captain Darren, who's like, I was a bit suspicious of him because I was like, he would be the if I'm putting my writer's hat on, he would be the person you least expect. Therefore it could be him. Um, but then he seems so loyal to the crown. And then my other idea was, is it Circa? But then later on, they revealed it's definitely not Circa because the black guards are attacking Circa as well. So this whole mystery throughout the entire book was fascinating. And then obviously the moment where it's like, oh, it's actually Captain Darren. Oh dear, we need to keep an eye on him. And then they get to Coronation. Oh, it's actually been Princess Fanry all along. I was like, pff, mind exploding. I thought all of that stuff was really like, really interesting like plot twists but not like plot twists for the sake of plot twists like they really made sense when you reflected back on everything that happened in the story and what this book is trying to say overall about you know big corporations being involved in politics what it's trying to say about you know being born into to monarchy and what it's trying to say about like you know absolute power versus democracy what it's trying to say about you know adults trying to paint their children into their an image that they want and all this sort of stuff and i just would i thought it'd be rude not to bring up some of these uh really incredible moments in the book and these plot twists and this mystery that this book was slowly unraveling um as much as all the the jedi and the 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 force stuff is awesome i think this was another really really strong part of the book yeah the plot twists on that were unbelievable i mean um at the end or near the end of the book when it was revealed there was it's a princess all along like that i think it's just a little paragraph though i had to reread that about three times to actually understand what happened it was like yeah during the coronation like it's like obviously she gets given a sword like a ceremonial sword and then um quagon's dialogue is like you know he was, he was like is he was like watching um the head of the royal guard like a you know like a fox yeah his eyes are on him and then like the, the line underneath is like so he didn't even notice uh i can't remember her name is fanny he's like he didn't even notice fanny stabbed the sky guard in the stomach and i was like jesus and i was like <laughs> i've not read that right i was like i need to go back and read that again I think I read about three times before I was like, oh, right. So, like, it's her. <laughs> She's the big bad of the of the book. And yeah, I didn't see it coming. But as you said, like, you know, reflecting back and then when you actually, like, um, think about it, you know, the the, the threads were all there. The, the breadcrumbs had been laid, but it was just, it all came together right at that point. 
Yeah, and it, it just tied so well into this sort of internal debate Qui-Gon's been having the whole time about how involved he should be. And then obviously the major, major plot point of like his vision that he has of this this um, ceremony, which is essentially his vision was correct. He did see the future and, you know, with the, the blood and everything that he had envisioned happening, it did happen. He just didn't quite figure out the specifics and that it was actually going to be the princess who was doing the stabbing instead of someone stabbing the princess, which is, I, th- I think, what he thought was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. That, that whole scene was really, really incredible. And I think there were just so many threads the entire way through the book, just like little little twists and turns in the narrative, which Claudia Gray does so well in all of her books. And I just particularly liked a lot of it in this one. Um, I think we've naturally come to the point where we're going to have to talk about the prophecies. Um, I think this was probably my favourite aspect of the entire book, was this idea that Qui-Gon has a vision and he doesn't want to take part in the coronation because he thinks it will make the vision come true. And then in the back, in, in the flashback scenes, we see that his interest with the prophecies, the, the, the holocron of prophecy, him and Dooku studying the, the prophecies, what some of the prophecies actually are. That was one that completely uh, blew my mind, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I just want to get your opinion before I go off on a, on a ramble of, you know, how you connected this whole um, through line of Qui-Gon prophecy, seeing the future and sort of what that says about like the force and the, the cosmic force and all this good stuff. Uh, I think I, I'm sure you'll get onto it in a second, but um, there were some of the, the prophecies that we, uh, like there was a few mentioned throughout the book um, and some of them I thought were just brilliant, like little plot devices of some, I think came to fruition in this book itself, um, there were some that, you know, applied very clearly to like the wider Star Wars stories. Um, and then I think it was, yeah, it was really fascinating, I think, to because it does put in such an interesting point as like how the force works and like the force law. And obviously if so many of these uh, prophecies that we read about in this book are obviously applicable to events that either happened in this book or in the future Star Wars that we come to, uh, like, that comes to be i think it you know adds adds so much to um different star wars uh multimedia you know like obviously adds so much to um back up like anakin's worries and fears in uh uh revenge of the sith you know with padme and obviously that's like a similar sort of situation that qui-gon found himself in in this book um and i just think yeah it just it definitely shows that Obviously, everyone always likes to say in the in the Star Wars universe, you know, it's the will of the Force. This is the will of the Force. This became true because it's the will of the Force. But I suppose if you if you take these prophecies and then you take the Star Wars stories that we all know, uh, it, it definitely is like you know, there's a lot of things that these prophecies foretold that definitely comes true in hindsight when you look back and look at Star Wars. So it's it's definitely interesting to see that like everything that happens is happens for a reason, you know, that the chosen one is true and, you know, anything, everything that happens leads up to Anakin chucking uh, Palpatine off, off the, uh, in the Death Star, you know, brings balance to the force. It just, it adds so much, it makes the world seem much more like realistic, I suppose. And like, mm. it gives so much more yeah. validity. Val- val- I don't know what I'm trying to say. It makes everything <laughs> seem so much more like, 
legit, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Awful no, well said it, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think this was the bit of the book that like every time it was like Qui-Gon, Prophecies, The Force, Dooku, any, anything like that, I was just like, my head like leaned into the book. I just... I've always found like, you know, the living force and the cosmic force, such like an interesting concept in star Wars, but like this idea that, you know, these soothsayers in the the Jedi past used to like write out all these prophecies. And then the Jedi decided they weren't going to get involved in prophecy because like, you know, wanting to control the future leads to the dark side. And then, you know, Qui-Gon and Dooku and Rael Avaros all have this particular interest in this holocron of prophecy, and obviously one of the prophecies in there is the Chosen One prophecy, which Qui-Gon obviously holds with such high weight in The Phantom Menace. One of them is an incredible um, prophecy, which is the Daughter of Darkness will give birth to more darkness or something along the lines, which is obviously Princess Leia, you know, being the daughter of Darth Vader, then giving birth to Kylo Ren, which I thought was just an unreal prophecy. I really like that one. Um, and then there was obviously the, the prophecies which happen in this book, which is like, as soon as they go with the the jewel thieves to the the fake Kyber mines, and it's actually the Colon crystals, and it's the prophecy of like when the the Kyber that isn't Kyber appears, the age of prophecy begins, and then this starts all this in Qui Gon's head. So I just think that a the way that like the prophecies exist, as you were saying, and the way they link to other stories is just fascinating, and it it, it adds so much value to like Qui-Gon's character in The Phantom Menace and why he can just be, because you can watch The Phantom Menace and you're like, why is this guy so obsessed with this kid? Like, you know, I get he understood, he believes it's a prophecy, but you know, why? And I think after, after reading this, you really understand why Qui-Gon so believes so harshly in Anakin and so much in the chosen one prophecy, because he believes that he has stumbled across like the, the cosmic force, the will of the force that, you know, that it's now going to become his role to not try and control or change or even avoid these prophecies, but just to accept that they're going to happen and just follow the will of the force. Absolutely. Um, but he, he wrestles with that a lot, obviously with the vision of what's going to happen at the coronation. And his first instinct is I'm not going to do the coronation because that will mean it won't happen. And that's him almost touching the darkness in the sense of trying to control it. And then he accepts that it has to happen, but he will sit idly by and he'll be there in case anything happens. So he's there to, but then he's, he, he then realizes he's misinterpreted the vision. And, you know, if, if he was in Obi-Wan's place, he would have died and vice versa. So I think all of that's really interesting. And obviously it then takes him down this huge rabbit hole of his relationship with the council and the fact that the council don't, like the idea of visions of prophecy of the future and we know this links really well in river revenge of the sith with um you know yoda telling anakin just to bury these this this um vision that he's had deep um but i do think there was a, a really interesting little excerpt from qui-gon um which to me just completely summed up why qui-gon is not interested in being part of the council why qui-gon sees himself as like on the fringe of the jedi um, Qui-Gon had not yet shared his vision with the council, nor did he intend to. They would spend all their time bickering about the viability of the hyperspace corridor. They were too bound to Coruscant, too bound to the Chancellor, too far from the living force. They were no longer the sort of Jedi who could trust in a pure vision. I just think that like, that basically just 
in one paragraph sums up a what's wrong with the Jedi Council that they're too caught up in all the politics and the bickering and b that they no longer just trust in the force absolutely and that they've let politics their role within the the galaxy affect their relationship with the living force the cosmic force and Qui-Gon sees himself as like the only person who is left to follow it absolutely which is at the end of the book which is why the main reason really why he chooses not to join the council is that he now sees that his role is to listen to these prophecies to listen to visions but not control them and just to be prepared for them, but accept that they're going to happen and just follow the will of the force. Absolutely. And I just thought that was one of the most sort of like fascinating (laughs) aspects of this whole book. And it just blew my mind every time they dived into it. So, so yeah, I know I've rambled quite a bit there, but it was just something that I really, really, really loved about this book. Yeah, I mean, what you just said there, I think, is uh, hitting the nail right on the head there. I'm not going to, not just going to um, regurgitate what you just said because I think it was absolutely brilliant there. I'm just going to make the point of what my favourite prophecy was in this book um, and the one that I think sh- stood out to me as like when I was oh, I can definitely picture where that's going in the future of Star Wars. And um, that was, he who learns to conquer death will his greatest student live again. And I was like, I was sitting there, I was like, when I read that, I was like, could that be like, at first, I was like, is that talking about like Palpatine and Vader and, you know, Vader, obviously Anakin's trying to conquer death and stuff. And I was like, oh, actually, no, that one is definitely just about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. You know, Qui-Gon at the end of, uh, you know, season six of the Clone Wars, it turns out that he's like almost learned to like be a force ghost. You know, he manages to talk to Yoda for a bit. You know, he can't quite materialize as a force ghost, but, you know, he speaks to, a few Jedi's um, Yoda and speaks to Obi Wan, and obviously Obi Wan lives again uh, as a Force ghost after Vader strikes him down. So I thought that was one of my favourite uh, prophecies in that one. Damn, that's not what I thought that one meant. And now you said it, I'm like, yeah, that is what it meant because I was going down the Palpatine path as well. I was like, wait, is this because Palpatine conquered death? No, that's crazy because Qui Gon is basically the one who introduces Force ghosts to Yoda to Obi Wan, and then in, in you know, oh wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, that one blew my mind when I read it. Yeah. I was like, wow, that one's, that one's so good. Yeah. No, that, yeah. Oh, so cool. And I have one more uh, photo that I took of the book of like another part. And I think this just ended up summing up Qui-Gon's character so perfectly. And I think this is the reason that Qui-Gon has like jumped up three places in my character rankings for Star Wars just after this book. And it was just this little paragraph. It shocked him that he was that Jedi, that he could find it in him to believe so profoundly, so unthinkably in pure mysticism, in unshakably in pure mysticism. Qui-Gon had often felt out of step with the Order as a whole, but never to this degree. He had also never felt this close to the Force. And I just thought that's such an awesome quote, because it's basically saying like, Qui-Gon has never felt so out of step with the Order but the, the, the time that he feels so out of step with the order is when he feels closest to the force. And in that moment, he chooses the force over the order. And I just think that represents Qui-Gon's character so much is that at the end of the day, what's more important to him is the will of the force, doing what the force says that he should do. And if that means chasing these prophecies and you know finding the chosen one as he goes on to do, then, then that's what he's going to do. And I just... Oh, 
I just learned so much about Qui-Gon from this book. <laughs> I already loved Qui-Gon, but after this book, I'm like, damn, Qui-Gon's a deep character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, re- I remember reading that quote actually in the book and being like, wow, that's like really interesting. Because, you know, it's common knowledge to Star Wars fans that, you know, the reason the, the Jedi were so easily defeated in, you know, Revenge of the Sith, etc., is because, you know, they lost their way from the Force and, you know, they became far more arrogant and political than they really should have. And obviously their punishment was the fact that they then got murdered for like 99% of them. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, like that Qui-Gon feels so disconnected from the council that obviously when he feels most connected to the Force, I think is is a really nice, sim, you know, symbolic way of stating, of showing what's going to happen, like how the Jedi Order are, are at that point. Um, if you know you hadn't watched the prequels, that that's that that line in itself shows you exactly what you need to know about like where the council are at the moment and you know the the problems that are in the Jedi Council. I think this book just beautifully puts it across. You know, if you've never seen any of the prequels and stuff, and you just read this book, it's quite clear if you read it properly that you know the the, the problems in the Jedi Council are um, the reasons why Qui Gon doesn't want to join the Council and why he would rather, as you say, just follow the will of the force. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, and it sort of just goes back to that quote from Dave Filoni about how like Qui-Gon would have been the perfect teacher for Anakin. He would have been like a father figure that Anakin needed. Maybe with Qui-Gon, he wouldn't have turned to the dark side, but you know, that's why the duel of fates, the duel of fates. And um, yeah, it all just ties so nicely together. So it's, this book's given me a newfound appreciation for Qui-Gon I mean, I already loved Obi-Wan, but, you know, it's just given me more understanding of Obi-Wan's character. It's completely frames The Phantom Menace in a whole new light for me, a film I already quite enjoyed, but it's just framed it in a new light. So, yeah, um, overall thoughts on this book. I really, really liked it. Um, Claudia Gray is the GOAT. Um, She writes incredible Star Wars books. This has just got me stupidly excited for The Fallen Star, which is the next High Republic book by Claudia Gray. I'm very excited for it. And I'm very glad that this was our book club book of the past month or so. And um, yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it and discussing it. Yeah, me too. It was actually a very good read, as I said at the beginning. Obviously, I, I crammed it in like two days, but at no point um, when reading it was I like struggling to get to the next page or like worried about, oh, I can't be really bothered. But I loved every page of it and um, I've enjoyed talking about it. I mean, I, we could literally be here for like another two hours probably talking about all the ins and outs and the greatness of this book but <laughs> yeah. yeah or just prophecies alone we could probably talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean claudia gray is i mean i've only ever read one of her books before obviously into the dark but after reading this one i'm i can easily see why she was chosen to then take on you know some of the big titles for uh the high republic and why she's been entrusted with uh, further star wars books because oh, she's fantastic she's a fantastic writer and she completely yeah. understands the topic and the characters she's writing she's just just fantastic my hope is that after she's done with the high republic that lucasfilm let her write the story of qui-gon obi-wan and duchess satine i think that's what we need like the sequel to master and apprentice but like focusing more on obi-wan than because this was like obi-wan was big in this book but qui-gon was like the main focus i'd love like the sequel to this but obi-wan is more the main character qui-gon's there but not in as big a capacity 
And then it's really that story of like Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine in that year that they were on the run and fell in love, blah, blah, blah. Because we haven't seen that and it doesn't feel like we're going to get that in like animation or live action anytime soon. So give Claudia Gray that story, let her write it because I'm sure it'll be amazing. Oh yeah, I agree. That would be unbelievable. I think her writing that would be so good. And I mean, it's a very interesting point of like the Clone Wars that people obviously, I can imagine, want exploring more. So mm-hmm. give it to Claudia Gray. Exactly. I mean, oh God, I completely forgot that this book even brings up that Qui-Gon had a past love interest, but oh, there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there really is, to be fair. There's just, uh, so much, there's so much in this book, you know, there's so much detail and points that you could discuss for hours and then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up there. That's been a good, well, probably an hour and 15 minutes by the looks of it now. Um, book club discussion, which usually happens when we do our book clubs, because, you know, it's difficult to talk about a whole book in under an hour. So we usually run over a little bit, but we have again today, which is good. Um, next week, um, we'll, we'll figure out what our following book club book's going to be and get back to you all. Um, not sure what we're going to do. I don't know if we're going to go back to the High Republic or if we're going to delve into something else in the uh, in the in the Star Wars um, back catalogue of canon canon books. I think John's got quite a few that he hasn't hasn't touched yet, so I might be interested to delve into something else. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm enjoying every, I'm enjoying my dive into like the canon Star Wars books that I haven't read before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what what we come up with next. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe we might even put up a little poll and let let the let the good listeners decide. That could be a good idea. <laughs> Not Chrissy. <laughs> um, right. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, make sure to follow us on whatever your podcast app is, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google. Give us a follow so you don't miss an episode. We release new episodes of the podcast every weekend, so stay tuned for more of that. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Live from Vader's Castle, where, as I've been saying every single week for the past couple of weeks, we're uploading all our old podcast episodes as videos. Um, so if that's your preferred way of consuming stuff, subscribe to us over there, and hopefully there'll be some more stuff coming there soon. Um, follow us on Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle, we post all sorts on Instagram book reviews. Um, there has probably already been like a really, really short one paragraph book review <laughs> about Master and Apprentice on our Instagram, which I might have already posted by the time you're listening to this, which basically says, I really like this book. Listen to our hour and a half long podcast about it. <laughs> um, and then you yeah, also follow us on Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod and TikTok at Life of Vader's Castle. I've got all of it this time. Good job, me. I'm going to pass over John to John to say goodbye. He's, he's, he's mastered it finally. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.